welcome to the Research Works podcast. My name is Dr. Dana Poole and I get the privilege of bringing to you a very special series this week. I am here in Slovenia at the European Academy of Childhood Disability interviewing the researchers and presenters about their work. This is very exciting and I can't wait for you to delve into this whole research conference series. We hope you enjoy the series. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome back to the Research Works podcast here in Slovenia, EACD 2023. It is the final day, third and final day of the conference, and uh, there is no shortage of incredible people that I've been able to speak with. And uh, and I guess now is, is someone that I've actually met online before in a previous conference. So this is the first time we've met in person, which I feel like that's what I've been saying to a lot of a lot of people lately. The post-pandemic vibes. So welcome to the show, Assistant Professor. Sadashan Dianidi. Welcome. Did I say surname right or did I change it? I changed it, didn't I? That's okay. I think that, that was close enough. No. <laughs> no, that was good. Everyone's been too kind. How do I say a surname? You say it. Dianidi. Dianidi. See, I've put the wrong emphasis there. But uh, thank you for being so agreeable with uh, my terrible pronunciation. From the Shirley Ryan Ability Lab and Northwestern University, how has the conference been for you so far? It's been great. I yeah. mean, I, I was at the Barcelona conference last year, or the yeah. UCD conference in Barcelona last Wonderful. year. Wonderful. Okay. And so this is slowly this conference I think is more like it feels normal where we are back to discussing oh, things so rather than true. am I wearing a mask did I remove my mask yeah. am I can I, can, yeah, that's can I talk right. to people am I not <laughs> are we shaking hands are we fist bumping yeah that it's, it's been really lovely to, to see people in person and I think that's where great collaborations are born right actually seeing people and talking about it and um, well the topic that you presented at uh, this conference is something that we haven't spoken about uh, on the podcast much at all actually and very interested in this because we often talk about the importance of, of muscle in children with cerebral palsy but you go that next step further um, and the title of your presentation was mitochondrial energetics in impaired muscle growth and across functional levels in children with cerebral palsy so many intriguing words in there <laughs> talk to us first about what you mean by mitochondrial energetics because I feel like that's something where we need to probably really establish first yeah so I mean I think the you know Everybody sort of knows, at least in the U.S., the thing is if you go to anybody and ask, just mention the word mitochondria, they're like powerhouse of the cell. That's like a thing <laughs> yeah, everybody right. knows. Yep. But what yep. does that really mean? Yeah. I mean? And what does that mean in muscle? Yeah. So, you know, we all know that we need to like eat food and the food helps with muscle utilization of energy. Mm. And so that energy actually is being produced within the mitochondria. Right. And so the mitochondria are probably producing 85 to 90% of the energy which a muscle can produce. And when a muscle needs that energy, it'll constantly keep producing that energy. And so that's sort of what we're interested in is what happens in mitochondria in muscles yeah. in kids who develop, you know, mus some muscle develop contractures, some muscles don't develop contractures. Yeah. Some of these kids are in wheelchairs. Some of them are more ambulatory. Yeah. And so the question is, are there differences between like all of these things? That's why I have so many cool things <laughs> in my title because I'm trying to capture a lot of things. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, roughly speaking, like within our muscle, we have like millions of mitochondria. Mm -hmm. And this is not just in kids with CP, but let's say you want to train for something. Like, yeah. you know, people train for marathons and run sure. marathons with like no training at all. And the way they sort of do it is because 
our muscles are very adaptive. Yeah. Um, and so they can build muscle by actually adding a lot of mitochondria. And then right. that way you have a lot of mitochondria, which is producing energy that you need. Wow. But sort of the counter side of that yeah. is we are not moving much. Mm. Our muscles, mitochondria break down. They don't, they're not needed. So they just go away. So that sort of disuse atrophy often talk about with muscles, same thing happens with mitochondria. Yeah. So, I mean, wow. when people talk about disuse atrophy, Typically, people talk about the fiber size becoming right. smaller and yep. all that. But within the muscle, muscle is fairly complex. Within the muscle, yeah. there's all kinds of other things. Yep. But one of the things that we know for a fact is that mitochondria breaks down mm. and that mitochondria goes away. So mm. when somebody like and, and it's true, like when let's say like you have a cast in your arm from fracture or yes. something, when you're when you remove the cast, <laughs> you sort of have to make that muscle grow. And yeah. that muscle will it, it's not just making the muscle bigger. It's also like building all the mitochondrial networks, which are Needed for that muscle to have energy. Right. So I can see why that's so important because you really, again, like you said before, muscle is so adaptive. It's very plastic. So we've got great opportunities there, but it can go in either direction. <laughs> exactly. Right. And so how do you actually study mitochondria like what how do you look at that for someone who's like a physiotherapist like me you know it's sort of outside the skin is kind of what I sort of look at <laughs> but you go a bit deeper <laughs> yes I mean I'm a physio I mean I, I trained mm -hmm. as a pediatric physical therapist as mm -hmm. we say but um and so I think for me mitochondria uh, sort of entry into mitochondrial world sort of was a new thing I, as part of my postdoctoral training right. that I did with Rick Lieber and Simon Shank who mm -hmm. coincidentally is from Australia, even though he was in the U.S. then yeah, yeah. and even now. Um, <laughs> but Simon Shank taught me a lot of mitochondrial methods. Right. Um, and so there are many ways in which you can look at mitochondria. Okay. And so, you know, typically you kind of can. And these are methods actually which are cool because these are methods Nobel Prize winners have used. So I wow. uh, I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the basic idea that we know is, uh, you know, if you go back and look at your mitochondria, you have something called the electron transport chain. Uh -huh. The electron transport chain has one part, the fourth complex. It has four complexes plus ATP synthase. Uh -huh. So the ATP synthase is the one which is generating energy. Yeah. And the four complexes of the electron transport chain are the ones which are sort of like passing the electrons. Uh -huh. And the fourth complex is the one which utilizes oxygen. Right. Okay. So the basic premise is how, like, is using those complexes. Yep. So the basic premise is like back in the day, people are like, we just took some muscle, put it into a chamber which measures the amount of oxygen you can consume. Okay. You're like, oh, that is consuming oxygen. What's going on? How do we use that oxygen? I see. And I that's see. sort of how like the th whole thing started. And wow. if you, you know, if you go back and read the history of how people discovered how mitochondria actually function, yeah. it's kind of bizarre. It just wow. like, it's like we, it took people decades and decades to figure out who's doing what. That is and, incredible. Um, but the way we measure it is sort of like the classic way in which yeah. you take a piece of biopsy and you sort of like prep it under microscopes okay. and then you like do things so you can get substrates and things into it, which is basically food. Right. And, and then we see what the mitochondria are doing. Okay. And while we put everything into a chamber, which measures oxygen. Mm -hmm. So we are essentially measuring oxygen consumption. Mm -hmm. And the more oxygen consumption you have, the more the mitochondria are utilizing that oxygen. Consequently, the more energy they're producing. I see. Okay. So, so we can all those relationships. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So we don't actually directly measure energy sure. of a, like ATP production. What yeah. we are measuring is oxygen consumption. Yeah. And based on that we are inferring that okay. you know it would be producing more energy. I love that. So 
with within all, within that context, then what was the aim of your presentation that you presented the other day? So a couple of years ago, uh, we published a, a paper. Um, like, like there are two papers. One one from like the stuff part of my postdoctoral training that uh-huh. I did, um, and the other one was from Ferdinand von Walden's group in Sweden. Mm-hmm. And so both of us showed uh, that there are alterations in mitochondria, mm-hmm. but the way we are doing the measurements is basically on frozen tissue, where as I said you have many complexes, and the way we doing it is looking at tiny pieces of those complexes and figuring out how those complexes are functioning. Okay. So that doesn't tell us how the whole mitochondrial electron transport chain is functioning. Mm. And so the only way to actually do that is by doing it in fresh tissue as soon as you get a like a biopsy from a child. Okay. And so what I'm presented here essentially is work we've been doing for many years. Yeah. And so, um, so in this study, we were mostly interested in what is the difference between contractured muscle and non-contractured muscle? Okay. Secondly, as I told you, like if you don't use your muscles or if something happens and your muscles undergo atrophy, mm. the mitochondria will change. Mm. So we sort of also got some uh, biopsies from kids who had uh, typically developing kids okay. who had ACL injuries. Okay. And right. so ACL injuries are a big you know, factor for you know, you like as a physio, you know, your quads yeah. basically take a beating. They do, like, don't they? Very quickly so. Very, very quickly <laughs> yeah, so. Yeah. And so we are like, this would be like a great sort of positive control. Yeah, And so sure. we sort of uh, got, you know, biopsies from kids who are having surgery to repair their ACL. Mm, mm. And then finally, the third part of it is, is the one I think is very interesting is what happens to mitochondria within a contractured muscle mm-hmm. if a kid is ambulatory versus a kid is primarily in a wheelchair. So if okay. a kid is a GMFCS level two versus a kid is a GMFCS level five. So, you know, my, wow. my like intuitively, like just as a physio, as a physiologist, I would be like somebody spending walking, somebody spending most of their time in a wheelchair, their mitochondria should be different. Yeah. And, and what was it? Tell us. So <laughs> that's not the last part. So let me tell you first what we found. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So firstly, like, the, yeah. the, you know, not surprisingly, the yep. kids who have uh, ACL injuries, yep. their mitochondrial function is lower than uh, non-contractured muscles. Okay. So we're looking at vascular lateralis muscles and yes. kids with CP okay. and we're comparing it with either the vastus lateralis or vastus medialis muscles in kids with uh, typically developing kids with ACL injuries. Yeah, sure. And so ACL injured muscle mitochondria definitely function lower. Yes. Uh, which is good and bad. I mean, it's, it's bad for the kids with TD, but it's good for the kids with CP because we're saying that the non-contracted muscle is actually functioning pretty yeah, well. Yeah, sure. Um, okay. But the second part of it was sort of more interesting where we were kind of were thinking what happens, at, you know, between a contractured muscle and non-contractured muscles. If yeah. you look, so we got biopsies from uh, kids who are having surgery. Yeah. So all of okay. these kids were having surgeries. Yeah. Um, so we were looking at kids who were having a muscle lengthening surgeries for the adductor mm-hmm. or gastrocnemius. Okay. And we're comparing those muscles as contractured muscles and we're comparing it with the uh, vastus lateralis. Okay. And, you know, it's, it's, I mean, as a group, contractured muscles are lower than, you know, non-contractured muscles in terms of mitochondrial function. Interesting. Um, and... But if you compare them with mm-hmm. kids with uh, typically developing kids with ACL injuries, uh, the gastrocnemius is higher and the adductor is similar. So, gastrocnemius. 
Right. So it's sort of is the the main sort of takeaway from that to, for me anyway yeah. is that you know muscle contractures are not just atrophic processes. There's that's, other stuff going on yeah. in there. And so I think that's why we were using these kids with typical development with ACL injuries because if all of them look the same, then we sort of are like, okay, you know, at least from mitochondrial perspective, yep. everything is just undergoing atrophy yeah. and that's it. Um, but And I'll come to the more interesting thing in a second, but I think <laughs> the other thing to remember here is that these are kids. They're growing. That's Their right, muscle true. is growing. Yep, yep. And so, you know, like we don't expect to have just a pure atrophic process going on because even... Even kids who are in wheelchairs, they're they're, they're, still, growing. they're still growing and they yeah. still do things. It's not they're, they're that they're in wheelchairs only. I yeah. mean, they still move and they do things. True. And their yeah. muscle is anyway growing. Yeah. Um. So that that's sort of like the thing of it is that, and I think that's where some of these kids with CP are stuck is their muscle is trying to grow, but yeah. their muscle is also not being utilized as much. Yeah. And so it's it's sort of undergoing some sort of disuse atrophy, but it's also undergoing mitochondrial biogenesis and all these things which happen during muscle growth and that's sort of like what we are trying to figure out is you know what exactly is going on within that muscle Mm. such a complex process yeah like like you said it's not like these these are not adults where they're they're not growing you would expect to be quite static there's just constant change that's happening but at a rate that is a bit different too yeah yeah i think a couple of years ago in 2019 there's a paper in general physiology uh from brian glancy's group who's at uh, washington dc or at bethesda at nih mm-hmm. um and they kind of looked at this as a mouse tissue but they kind of show that mitochondria actually grow as a muscle is growing not right. surprisingly yeah, yeah and so yeah. but i think they're the first people kind of actually have shown that in like a very convincing way well yeah and so what we want to know is how do mitochondria grow in kids yeah and what happens when kids have cerebral palsy and how does that is there any alteration and if a muscle is smaller do they still have sufficient number of mitochondria yeah and yeah. so that's sort of what we are trying to figure out yeah um would knowing that sort of influence you know in terms of what i do in my practice um does that influence sort of some of the parameters that we might, you know, recommend? You know, we always try to recommend more activity, but, you know, how much is too much and what's too little and, you know, what are they, what's the muscle actually capable of? Yeah. So I think that leads to the third finding yeah, that we had, yeah. which is, you know, as I, as I said, intuitively, you would think that kids who are, you know, GMFCS level two, their mitochondrial function would be greater yeah. than kids who are GMFCS level five. And in our case, we didn't see that at all. Wow. So their mitochondria, at least in contractured muscles, because that's what you're looking at, it looks identical, like there is no difference. So the Mm. clinical sort of takeaway from it for me is that kids or GMFCS level twos are not doing enough. I mean, wow. they're, they, I mean, we know for a fact that yeah. they, they have a lot of sedentary behaviors. Yeah. And yeah. so I think that their sedentary behaviors are high enough that they're, you know, you need a certain amount of input yes. for the muscle to be able to do things. Yes. Yeah. And so I think that in um, as a physio, I would say the thing is that we just need to get them to be moving more. Yeah. And I don't know if you, I mean, Ferdinand uh, Von Walden and I and Annika Cruz and uh um, linear, we had a simple mini symposium uh-huh. about frame running and activity. Yes, yes. And so yes. I think that sort of like the discussion which we had from the whole thing was basically saying that 
people kids with cp need to move more mm. like if they're capable of moving mm. um and hendrik uh who's a frame runner was also he had he shared a video with us in in that symposium he's yeah. in sweden and he said that for him you know because he spends a lot of time in, in a wheelchair but when he does frame run, running for him that's when he can actually feel free yeah and active yeah. and he can move and yeah. you know feel like an athlete yeah and i think that's it isn't it it's we are um constantly trying to find what well, we we know we need to get people to move more <laughs> yep and we probably need a lot of innovation sometimes thinking about how we can get people to move more because we that's why at this conference you've been hearing about you know can we identify the barriers what are the facilitators because we need to find ways for people to move more and and you've added this incredible piece to that as well by understanding the why behind it you know i think that's there's so many factors for it but it's it's just so vital to think about the person and their overall health for you what's what's the what's the so what for clinicians when they when they're listening to why people need to move more we know that there's the health benefits but what does this contribute to so, it so you know there so if you look in the mitochondrial literature yeah there is a the huge emphasis not in cp but there's a whole thing with aging yeah, you know okay. like if you just search for mitochondria and pubmed you'll find probably most articles you'll find is related to aging yeah. and with aging we know our mitochondrial function declines yeah and uh some of like my my data because i have some other things i'm doing with um mary mcdermott who's a collaborator of mine at northwestern university uh-huh. she's interested in people with peripheral artery disease uh-huh. but we also look at people who are aging without yeah. peripheral artery disease yeah. and some of our da- data and other people have shown that the amount the distance you can walk uh-huh. is associated with your mitochondrial function wow and so sort of the so what i think is that we need to think a little long term yes so it's not just in terms of kids it's as they yes. become adults yes uh, because we do know everybody knows that you know the transition from yeah. adolescence to adulthood and later on yeah is really tricky i mean yeah. and so and especially kids or gmscs level 3s and 4s yeah. uh for them i think or even 2s for that matter sure. um yeah. there yep. you know there are changes which happen and uh i mean I, i know people who have cp who are who say that i mean they're adults now but they say i feel like i should walk better when i was you know younger yeah and i get more tired now yeah. and some of those things are obviously related to muscle changes yeah and i guess that investment uh early on but it's also a lifelong to be able to maintain that level of functioning uh we need to always be thinking about that so they're not i guess not going from a place of too much deficit uh we get them to a place where they've actually got some reserve and and to be able to continue to function Yeah and mm. I I don't know if you got a chance to talk to Mark Peterson who's also here at the ACE. And I still need to hunt him down. I, I've been messaging him. I need to see him still. <laughs> yeah, he's here. Yeah. I mean, he he gave a mini symposium the other day yeah. about like aging and yep. and CP and he always has this figure in his presentations where he sort of shows you a, a, you know, you sort of you go up in your functionality and then as you start becoming older you decline yeah and once you sort of start declining to a certain point it's very hard to come back up yeah and so i think from that perspective trying to do more and trying to get into more of a and this is not you know rehab this is sort of more like just a healthy lifestyle, lifestyle. kind of thing that's right yeah, yeah and so trying to get people to move more and yep. do more things yep. i think is what i would say It's a modifiable health uh, promotion strategy isn't it and it's something that we can do. Exactly. Yeah. And and the other sort of side of it which I didn't touch upon is metabolic 
you know, there's a lot of things that happen metabolically. Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, our metabolism slows down. Like, there's a higher risk for people to develop all kinds of things. True. And so some yeah. of the stuff that Mark Peterson and, and, and Jennifer Ryan and others have shown mm. is that in adults with CP, you have a higher risk for all kinds of other things. Yeah. And so I think that's all of this sort of stems potentially from... Not saying from mitochondria, but from like an activity and lack of activity. It's a big contributor. Yeah. It's a really big contributor. Well, I feel like today you just stimulated so much thought and you've actually brought so many areas together. Thank you so much for doing that. I feel like that was a, like a, a crash course literature review in the area, which is absolutely phenomenal. And uh, it's always an, and something that I think people are always wanting to understand more of. And you explained that so beautifully. So thank you for, for really stimulating that thought for so many of us. Um, and thank you for, for all the work that you're doing in this space. No, thank you. I mean, I think so the reason I'm able to bring some of these things, hopefully in a convincing way, is that because I had to teach myself all this. As I said, I'm a physio. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, where are mitochondria? How are these this things so open? So. <laughs> the possibilities of what we can do. It's, yeah. it's incredible. So I think that's a wonderful example too because, yeah, I didn't think that uh, that would be an area that physios would go okay. down. So it's wonderful. I love Me it. Neither. But I think at the end of the day, it. I think it all comes from like the time I spent, you know, like yeah. I, I spent four years at Shriners Hospital in Philadelphia working yeah. with kids and yeah. so a lot of stuff that I do now is I, you know, I used to work in a gate lab. I see yeah. kids walking every day and I'm like all so of that stuff is like, questions. what's going on in the muscle? Ah, oh, wonderful. That's where it that's came where from. That's where it starts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was talking about uh, that with uh, Professor Nora Shields before. It just starts with that one question. Sometimes a dangerous question, yeah. um, but it can lead down to an incredible path. So that's the beauty of research and science, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. I'll wonderful. leave you with one more thought, which is, you know, the real question we want to know in these kids is what happens to their mitochondria in response to training. Yeah. As I said, our muscles are very trainable. Yeah. And but they're also non-trainable at a certain point. So right. like as, aging is a good example. What does that look like? So yeah. that's what we want to understand is what changes and are they modifiable? Yeah. And if they're not modifiable, how do we modify them? Yeah. So well, let's keep in touch. I think we need to keep talking about this. Yeah, yeah. All the new discoveries will be wonderful. Well, it's lovely to finally meet you in person and uh, thank you for your time. And to all of our listeners, I really hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Uh, stay tuned for so much more. Talk to you again soon. Bye. Thank you.